How many of you have ever set out with a goal, really intentional, and you go, I'm going to do it. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to do it. You're going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat better, or I'm going to go keto, or I'm going to stop yelling at my kids or my spouse when I'm really stressed out. And you're like, I'm going to do it. And you come to find out you're not doing it a month later, a week later, maybe even a day later. I don't know about you guys, but I've laid in bed at night going, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do it. Yes, it's going to feel so good. 5.30 comes around and I'm like, mm, snooze. Mm, snooze. Nope. Nope. I'm just going to turn it off. I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like it. Okay. This is common. Okay. Uh, I have been given the privilege to talk, talk to you guys and educate you a little bit of why we struggle so much with setting habits and why we, um, why we struggle with making and setting good habits. There's a guy named Brian Tracy. Anybody ever heard of him before? Yeah. Wrote a book called Million Dollar Habits. He says, the fact that good habits are hard to form, but easy to live with. Bad habits, on the other hand, are easy to form, but hard to live with. In either case, you develop either good or bad habits as a result of your repeated choices and decisions and behaviors. How many people relate to that? Right? I do. He goes on to say, adopting new habits is only ever difficult for one of two reasons. You don't understand habits and the structure and how to leverage the structure, structure to your advantage. And two, you're attempting to do too much too soon and setting yourself up for failure. So I want to break that down a little bit into what I call barriers. So the first barrier is you want it all right now. So I'm going to take this off so you guys can see that's over in the corner. You want it all right now. How many of you guys like Queen? You want it. I want it all, right? You guys familiar with that song? You want it right now? Well, guess what? That doesn't work so well. You go to the gym once and you expect to look like Atlas. Maybe if you're a guy, right? Maybe if you're a girl, you want to look like Jillian Michaels. Doesn't work. Or maybe you're like, oh, at least I could lose five pounds. No. It's easy to get excited and motivated for, ch for a change in routine and starting on the path of good habits. However, change is about habits which lead to our desired goals. I like what James Clear has to say about this. We let our motivations and desires drive us into a frenzy as we try and solve our entire problems all at once instead of starting a small new routine. If you try to race to the end, you're going to fail. You're going to get tired. Okay? Can't climb Mount Everest in a day. Barrier number two. Bad habits are just so easy. I don't know about you guys, but I like doing the easy. Our brain is kind of operated on that. And I'll talk about that in a little bit later. So we have to be honest with ourselves. Bad habits are easy to keep. Not only are they easy, sometimes they're just more fun. Take, for example, binge watching something. You know, maybe we do it for a week or all weekend, you know, and it's fun. But in the long term, it's probably not good for our mental health and our physical health. So you might not need to completely eradicate that behavior or that habit. However, we need to tone it down. So maybe you just binge watch Tuesdays and Thursdays or something like that. Barrier number three. Temptations are just so tempting. Ooh, that donut, that ice cream, that show. You can just, how many of you can just eat one cookie? I can't. Or one chip, one slice of pizza. 
One scoop of ice cream. I need lots of ice cream. Good habits often mean avoiding temptation, which we'll later call, and I'll talk about, are called cues or triggers. Barrier number four, you're not getting the right support. Good habits need support. How many of you have heard that you need a good workout buddy for, in order for you to stick it out? I know I have. Same is true with any habit. You need some support. If everyone around you is against you eating healthier or working out, likelihood of you following through with that is pretty slim to none. Just like if you smoke and you decide, I'm going to quit smoking. And, but you, you still go out with your buddies or your coworkers on a smoke break. Eventually, you're going to break down and start bumming a cigarette from them. Barrier number five, willpower and motivation will not sustain you. It'll get you pointed in the right direction. Granted, you know, that's a good thing. Willpower is good. Motivation is good. It'll peter out. It will not see you to the end. Along those same lines is emotions. Sometimes we depend on our emotions to motivate us to do things. Okay? I'm a therapist by, by trade, and I see this a lot. We, we get ourselves to think strongly about something, and it doesn't work. Eventually, uh, what we have to understand is emotions ebb and flow. Okay? They're not sustainable. So when we're feeling really good, yeah, we might follow through with those habits. When we're not feeling good, likelihood of us following through with that is little to none. Shame. You won't learn new habits when you experience shame. The part of your brain that helps you learn actually doesn't even light up in MRI and brain scans when you experience the emotion shame. So when you try and shame yourself like, oh, I'm such a horrible person, or I'm so fat, or I'm so this, or I'm so that, your brain's not going to learn, hey, I need to do something different. It's just going to go, and you're actually more likely to repeat the negative behaviors that you're engaging in. Likewise, if you have people in your life that are shaming you, that's not going to be helpful either. Because, oh, you should. If you ever hear the word you should, it's invalidating that there's some shame there. So don't should on yourself and don't let other people should on you. <laughs> Barrier eight, setting unrealistic goals and expectations. What would you say if some, one of your best friends comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to start a million dollar enterprise even though I don't have any experience with business and I'm going to run a marathon in three months although I need to lose 50 pounds and I haven't ran since high school. And I'm going to learn how to fly a plane, even though I'm freaked out about heights. Not going to happen, right? Seems pretty unrealistic. I don't know about you, but I'd probably laugh that person out of the room, lovingly, because it's my friend. These goals seem absurd and completely unachievable to the outside viewer. However, these goals are very similar to habits that most people set. Let's look at this maybe a little more tangibly, maybe something that we do, still unrealistic. We might say something to ourselves, even though I haven't worked out for years, I'm going to start going to the gym every day, or maybe five days a week, for 90 minutes at a time. Or, I'm going to, even though I eat fast food five to six times a, day, a week, I'm going to eliminate all processed foods, and I'm going to start eating a salad every day, maybe even twice. Or, even though my body's not used to it, because I wake up at 9 a.m. right now, I'm going to start waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, starting tomorrow. 
still pretty unrealistic, right? But we make those promises to ourselves. Just like I said earlier, how I sit in bed sometimes and go, I'm going to start running tomorrow. Not realistic. But we, but we do this more often than we realize. So what are you supposed to do? Well, if you really want to make new habits stick, then you need to be honest with yourself and approach new habits in a realistic way. After all, life is a marathon, not a sprint. So let's start learning something about ourselves and science. I don't know, science mystery theater or something like that goes through my head. So we have to understand, our brains work on a trigger and reward basis. A habit loop forms as the brain cycles and stores information to simplify tasks. The brain is always searching for more efficient ways of doing things to, so we can learn more. Imagine if you, had to wake, if you had to relearn every morning how to walk, how to feed yourself, how to make, make breakfast, how to tie your shoes, how to make breakfast. You'd be tired and exhausted before you even get your day started. Before you even leave to go to work to do what you might now call mundane things at work, right? Or mindless things that you do at work. This is why I think toddlers take so many naps. <laughs> you know, they're all learning, right? They're like, oh, I got to learn. By performing actions the same way frequently, the brain hardwires information about our responses, creating what we call neural pathways. Habits are efficient processes because they allow us to accomplish things without much thought. You save energy for more critical thinking. So all habits can be broken down into three basic components. This is called the habit loop. Let's see if I have. All right, here's our habit loop. All right can be broken down into three things. The cue or trigger. This is the part of the habit loop where you are triggered to, to take some sort of action through a cue in your internal or external environment. Number two, the action. Good or bad, this is the part of the habit loop where you, you actually take action on the habit you want to, adopt, want to adopt or drop. And then three, the reward. What do you get out of it? This is the part of the habit where your brain receives a reward for taking a desired action. So for example, this is mine, my habit loop. Being in front of people, it's not my favorite thing, okay? So there's an urge, sometimes we put that there, of like, I'm gonna, I wanna do something. In the past, I would, I would have these worried thoughts, like, oh my goodness, what are people gonna think of me? I don't, oh, what if I, what if I pee myself up there or something like that? <clears throat> and so the action is to avoid. So I won't go, I won't, I won't go to, you know, go out with people or do that thing. And the reward is, you feel safe or you feel some semblance of control, not actual control, some semblance of control. So let's break this down into maybe some, something that's more relatable. You're walking down the hall and in the break room, you see donuts. I can smell them. That's the cue. That's your trigger. Your brain's like, huh, that smells really good. I want some. So you go, you eat the donut. And then the reward is you get all these flight of chemicals spurging through your head. And you're like, I like this. This feels good. And we tend to repeat that. So the next time you go down the hallway and you notice that there's a sweet treat, you're like, you don't even think about it. You're just there. And you're like, why am I eating this again? 
Charles Duhigg, kind of the creator of uh, that habit loop, also the author of The Power of Habit, an expert on behavioral psychology, suggests that most people fail to adopt new habits because they don't understand the structure of habits. More specifically, most people fail to adequately reward themselves for taking actions of, the, of a beneficial habit. Think about it this way. Most addictive and destructive habits or behaviors have a built-in reward system. Uh, and it requires little to no input for you. Smoking a cigarette, doing drugs, drinking alcohol. These are all easy habits to adopt because they light up your brain with the neurotransmitter dopamine and a slew of other pleasurable chemicals. These substances naturally reward your brain and encourage continued usage, even though they are detrimental to your overall health and well-being. Some more common things like playing video games or checking your phone when, it, when you think it buzzes or rings. And you habitually continue to check it. I don't know how many times, but people habitually check their, the push that little side button on their phone. There's an app for that to help you monitor that. Or eating something high in calories and have have the same have all all have that same effect of releasing these chemicals in your brain. On the other hand, many positive habits such as exercising, meditating, focus work, or eating healthy don't have immediate obvious rewards. Yes, extended practice of exercise, meditation, trying to eat healthier, they might come in later, not, not initially. So it's really hard to stick it out. They need a little bit of help to get started. For example, studies have shown that consuming a small amount, small amount of chocolate post-workout releases similar chemicals and neurotransmitters to those that eventually will be released when you work out on a more frequent basis. Like, wow, I need to start eating more chocolate. <laughs> the main thing to understand here is that in order to change your habits or your behaviors, you have to either address the cues or, or the rewards. And you have to remember, the higher the reward, the stronger the habit. Our brain is set up on a hierarchy of behaviors based on a reward value. The behavior with the biggest reward, we act out. Our primitive brain, or what I like to call our caveman brain, <clears throat> identifies and associates high calories with survivability. Sugar and fat have tons of calories. So when we eat ice cream, our brain says, calories, yes, survival, I'm going to live. Again, remember, caveman. Through the chemical releases of dopamine and other, all those other feel-good chemicals, so we start to prefer ice cream over kale. Our brains remember which foods are more rewarding, which is why our parents probably never served dessert with dinner, right? Because we would automatically choose to eat the dessert over the veggies. It's not just calories that matter, though. Our brain also learns reward values of people, places, and things based off association from our past experiences in our youth. So as an adult, you don't have to remember what ice cream necessarily tastes like. Your brain just automatically knows this is good. I had fun. And there was fun times when I ate ice cream. Maybe it was at a birthday party or at a celebration or a special treat that your grandparents used to take you to. Your brain just automatically remembers this and it draws these conclusions for you. You know that eating ice cream makes you feel good. Excuse me. You just know that eating ice cream makes you feel good. Unless you're lactose intolerant, and even then, the remorse still might outweigh the cons. 
So there's an automatic habitual response to eat ice cream. As Dr. Judd says, think about learning a habit as set and forget. Set the reward value. Forget about the details. This is also why it's hard to break habits, say eating too much ice cream or not feeling like you have control over eating sugary treats. What's kind of the sort of standard advice that you hear about stopping a habit? Just don't do it. Stop eating that, right? This is called willpower. Remember barriers? And like I said before, it might just work for a little bit, but it will not sustain you. You have to address the felt experience of the reward. One of the only ways to sustain a habit is to update the reward value. How do you do that, you may ask? Awareness. Or as I teach my clients, mindfulness. To be present and aware of the moment, to get off autopilot, and to realize how rewarding or unrewarding it is right now to reset the reward value. Here's an example. When learning to do mindfulness myself, I had to take some courses. We took this mindfulness course. It was a two-day course. And we did something called mindful eating. It's painstakingly eating something really slow. What we did was we ate a piece of candy. And it was Snickers. And I loved Snickers. So what we do is we take this candy bar. and we, It was like a five-minute thing. Take a little candy bar this big and we eat it in five minutes. Take it apart. You smell it. You put it in your mouth, you take a bite, and you just let it sit there. And something happened to me in that moment. I was like, hmm, I like candy bears, but this doesn't taste like what I remember it. It actually tastes kind of gross. Is that, is that plastic I taste? You know, and I, huh, what is this? You know, and I, 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 it was kind of a weird thing. Even the texture was like, I don't, I don't even like this texture. It's gross. So what is that thing? It's called awareness and realizing that things don't taste as good as I remembered. So I just knock that thing down off the reward value. Dr. Judd Brewer, the guy that I just quoted earlier, he has a research program where he uses mindfulness to help clients to quit smoking initially. He did a lot of research on it. And the same thing, like be really, really intentional about smoking. And what people found is like they really did not like it but their brain automatically wanted it. But once they were really, really mindful, they were like, this doesn't taste good. And it's able, studies have shown that it's able to reduce smoking at a pretty good rate. Now, now that we have a better understanding of what and why we do the things we do, I want to give you some antidotes to those pesky barriers that I mentioned earlier. So, antidote one, give yourself grace and time. Big ocean liners don't turn on a dime, right? They don't turn in seconds. It takes time. And sometimes tugboats. And I would call those support systems. So when in therapy, I'm like, I'm your tugboat. I'm going to help you turn that behavior around. Another great tool to utilize are these things called smart goals. And this is in, I think, your handout on page four, five, and six. So smart goals are just, it's an acronym. Be specific. Make it measurable, attainable, relatable, or relevant, and timely. It's a great tool. Antidote number two. Break down your habits into more manageable chunks. Use a reward system for when you follow through and give yourself some grace when you fail, and then get back on the horse. 
Antidote three, identify your cues to your bad habits and change your cues. Cues can be broken down by time, location, preceding events, emotional state, and other people. Regarding that emotional state, I like to use this acronym called HALT, or that I learned. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's the times when we tend to fall back into old habits. I like to add another one, a P, so I call it FALT, P-H-A-L-T, pain. When we, when we notice our pain, we tend to go back to some of those, those pesky habits. Antidote four, find the support you need. Friends, family. I've even seen people use social media to kind of like give them some of that support. Like, you got this. I just had a friend on Facebook. She, she was, she was uh, overweight and she's like, I'm going to lose weight. This is my goal. This is my plan. And the amazing amount of people that were like spurring her on were like, you got this. You can do this. It was really good. It was really cool. But remember, social media is a double-edged sword. Okay. Antidote number five. This one relates to five and six. Identify po- positive cues to triggers to your new good habit and identify the reward to your new good habit. So you want to make sure that you're constantly giving yourself some sort of reward. Antidote seven. Give yourself grace and follow the never miss twice rule. Understand you will mess up and slip on your habits. And that's okay. The rule of thumb is that when you fail, you get back on the horse immediately so that you never miss twice. It's okay to miss one workout a week, but don't you dare let it extend to two or three. It's fine to miss one day of meditation, but the next day you better plant your butt on the floor or the chair and get to it. If you follow the rule of never miss twice, you can kind of fail your way to changing your goals or reaching any goal you desire. And antidote number eight, set realistic and achievable goals. This is, again, where I would kind of reference that smart goals for you. So I want you to be creative of how you develop your own reward system. I like to implement a system when teaching time management of some uh, large amount of time to a smaller amount of time. So when I was preparing for this, my, my, my brain wants to go, I'd rather watch YouTube videos or play with my kids or do something better than reading a bunch of diff- different research. But I set this rule up and I set it up as for an hour, I would do reading and research and writing. And for 10 minutes, I would, you know, I'd go get a snack or walk around the house or do a little exercise just to get the blood flowing or watch those YouTube videos. My advice to you is to start out small, identify little goals or habits and be specific about what you want to achieve. And guess what? When you start noticing the changes, it's going to feel really good because those dopamine and other feel good chemicals are going to help and start infiltrating your brain and you're going to boost some self-confidence and it's going to keep you going because it's that reward system that I talked about. It's doable. You have the ability to do this. Everybody does. As I often tell my clients, you need to give yourself grace and time. At the end of the majority of my sessions, I give my clients a challenge. So in closing, my challenge to you is this. Utilize some mindfulness. Be curious about your current habits and the reward value and, the, and create awareness of new habits and the reward value they can hold for you. You can do this by setting some time aside for yourself, exploring by yourself, exploring by a therapist or a life coach or a good and supportive friend. I will leave you with this quote by Wayne Gretzky. 
You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So make your plan, take your shot, and reward yourself. Thank you.